0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Hey, welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday and well, right now it's one o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So that means it's time for me to bring in two fantastic guests and talk about talent. My favorite thing to talk about is how do we handle our talent better and what can we learn from really talented people? Uh, And both are true today for both context of the of the word. Uh, I'm also really excited because this is the last show of June because I'm going to be a little bit on a on a book tour and speaking tour for, to promote the recent book that just came out, Remote Work. Of course, my first book, The Power of Company Culture, which is filled with stories. They're both really filled with stories that we got from a lot of our guests uh, here on the show, talking about what they went through, uh, really sharing with us, how they overcame adversity, their fantastic ideas and how maybe they stumbled upon them. And that's really the crux of the show is to to have an interesting conversation with someone and hopefully allow them to share their wisdom and for something to maybe really stick with you, that you might take back to your company, that you might take back to your life and be able to, uh, to apply it in some way to make things better. So that's really the intention here. And that's what we're going to try to do today. As I mentioned, we are live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. A lot of you kind of get us on the live broadcast. So thank you for being here. Uh, a lot of you, I would say actually most of you, get us on the podcast or the video cast. So make sure you subscribe to Spotify or iTunes or iHeartRadio, wherever you find us. If you want to watch us on video, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, and then you'll be alerted every time a new episode is, is, is thrown up there. So Certainly noticed a lot of people coming in on the video as well lately, and that's been a nice addition. Uh, With everyone being virtual, we've had less people in the studio, so actually we've had nobody in the studio, so they've all been sort of in this new Zoom context, and that's been great to take advantage of. Uh, If you have any questions for my two wonderful guests today, don't forget Angela is live tweeting all the things that we say. Uh, Links to books, links to profiles, so it's a great resource for you to maybe go back and grab that thing that you couldn't jot down as you were listening. So it is there for you. And we love to get your comments your questions. Uh, you can agree with us, disagree with us. That's what Twitter's is for. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. All right. My guest today, uh, my first one will be Scott Miller. He's the former chief marketing officer and EVP of thought leadership at Franklin Covey. Uh, I'm sure most of you know, who Franklin Covey is. I certainly do a great little company I shouldn't say little, great big company. Um, and then we'll bring in uh, our second uh, guest. He's uh, returning to the show, uh, Rick Girard, uh CXO of Stride Search and host of his own show on this platform, the Higher Power Radio. So he should be, uh, he's no stranger to, the, to radio waves. I don't, and kind of based on uh, already my interaction so far with Scott today, I don't think he's a stranger to this as well. So Scott, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, sir? Chris, I'm doing well. Thanks for the platform and the spotlight. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you tell everyone more about you? What are you doing now? What's important for us to know about you and your journey and, and what you're focusing on that you know might help people understand who they're listening to, who they're learning from today?
2: Well, I'm focusing on raising three boys with my wife. We have a six-year-old, nine-year-old, and 11-year-old. So that is my number one responsibility. Sometimes I hit it out of the park and sometimes I strike out. But uh, beyond Raising Three Boys, uh, I'm an author like yourself. I host the world's largest weekly leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, very similar to yours. I speak, I write, I consult, I coach. I am a 25-year associate of the Franklin Covey Company. Dr. Covey hired me and raised me as a as a, from a front line to the C-suite, was the chief marketing officer for eight years and just released a new book called Marketing Mess to Brand Success. It is the second book in the 10-volume Mess to Success series. The first book was Management Mess to Leadership Success. And so, I'm kind of on, um, like you, I'm on the road and on the tour now promoting the book and talking about that across every platform that will have me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know It is a lot of fun. You get to meet a lot of people. I guess it was that term, kiss a lot of babies and shake a lot of hands. So, uh, and I noticed all the great books there behind you for anyone is watching or uh, on the video, you can see some of those in the background
2: to kind of get into marketing, right? I guess. Time developing their business acumen as they do their creativity, understanding Mm. the, the, the nature of the business that they're in as opposed to marketing channels. So I don't take the task, but I certainly, I think, inspire marketers to, You know, understand the five parts of your business, margin, cash, velocity, customers, and growth, and be super um, attuned to and aligned with what does sales need? I think the biggest conflict in companies, the biggest cancer in organizations next to gossip is the fighting that goes on between sales and marketing. So maybe they should be two independent divisions in terms of alignment, but they should be interdependent in terms of the leaders of those two divisions. As the chief sales officer, I would want marketing doing that as well. I want them building brand and -hmm. building a culture. But the fact of the matter is you can't staple brand equity to the back of a bank deposit slip and fund payroll office off of it. And that may be funny in a throwaway line, but there's truth to that. I just think generally speaking, marketing needs to be in sales boat rowing with them. And that's from a chief marketing officer. I just generally think that marketing doesn't understand enough the key drivers of their businesses, not every time, not every marketer, but there's, I think there's growth there. Yeah. And I mean, we we have this all the time. So at the high level,
1: we have marketing and sales very much connected and talking and working. But if you go down the channel, right, the people making the ads, the people making the art, and then the people who are calling and talking to people, they're not really talking, Yeah. right? They're not, Right. and and lots of times for simple reasons. And, And they're two totally different, I guess, uh, abilities and so you know i would say my average salesperson is not has no interest in marketing they they want marketing they they they, they love it but they don't want to do it right. and my average marketing person would certainly not want to be following up with people and making sales calls and all that but yeah how do you get them to talk enough that they understand yeah. uh, where where they're at and how to go back and forth I, it's funny I've had marketing people go well that lead just came in you guys are because I've already sent five emails and done three phone calls, right? And you're like, that's just not how it works. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs>
2: right. And I don't think that marketing always knows what a lead is. What marketing might call mm-hmm. a lead, the sales might call a waste of my time. Right. So yep. the, the better, the better the relationships are, the better they know each other, they they know each other's intents, then you'll have better alignment, interdependence with these two teams.
1: Well, we've seen some good successes to go back and analyze I, I, this is this just comes from my perspective of of positive inquiry right and try to have positive leadership and we focus on what works right so what you focus on grows and i also know if you focus on what works you you can do a lot more of it and stop worrying so much about all the negative stuff yeah so we go back and say well all right this quarter who were all the clients that we got where did they go what did they do how did they come in what what worked right and then can we go spend more money in there and in, into those dollars into those campaigns or things like that, and then take the rest of them that didn't work and then ignore them. They're done. Go away. I, you know, we don't need to, to, to beat a dead horse, like trying to make that add a little bit, but no, it didn't work. <laughs> right. And so is that the same kind of approach that you would suggest? Are we focus on, on what's working first, or do you think there's some value in, in continuing to, to tinker, you know, to AB test and do things to try to, I guess yeah. in areas that maybe haven't yeah.
2: proven to be working yet. You know, this may sound convenient, but I think obviously you're always testing new ideas and you're, you're, you're demonstrating humility to recognize where you might want to put your efforts. It might be someone else's idea. I love this quote from Dr. Covey. Humble leaders are more concerned with what is right than being right. And a lot of leaders, you know, get hooked up into our egos. So we find all kinds of confirmation bias or other kind of data that can improve our original idea. You know, I was interviewing on my podcast Karen Dillon once. Karen Dillon is the former editor of the Harvard Business Review, and she co-wrote a book with Clayton Christensen called How Will You Measure Your Life? And in this book, Chris, they share some research from a fellow Harvard business professor that said that 93% of all organizations that achieve, quote, financial success do so with an emergent strategy, not the deliberate strategy they set out with. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Only 7% of the time, companies that are, quote, successful do so with their original idea. That's because those th- those that are able to pivot and change their mind and be open to influence and test and have an idea that wasn't theirs. I mean, quite frankly, the mess to success book idea was not my idea. It was my 23-year-old's junior partner's idea. He said, you ought to write a book about all your messes, not just leadership, but marketing and job and sales and marriage and all of that. So, My marriage isn't a mess, by the way, at least not today, but it's, it's the leader that's open to other people's influence, including if they might be less in stature
1: than you. Well, it's a great point. And uh, it makes sense because if people are willing to, to change, I mean, I I've known so many people that wanted to start a business or wanted to do something with their life. And they spent so much time preparing, trying to make it perfect. Right. And usually they never actually executed on the final product because they're always still trying to make it perfect. Or. If they did, they were so late to the game, right? They were so late that it didn't matter, that everything had changed, everything had passed it by. I had an art teacher in junior high who for years was making his own boat. And, I mean, just a little at a time, he was in the newspaper about it, he'd check on his progress. I think he spent 20 years building this boat. Well, something happened, and he I think he had some physical something happened, an illness or something. And he decided he needed to to make this. He sort of rushed it all of a sudden at the end. And do you know what happened to that boat on this big voyage with all the news media there and people have been talking about this for 20 years? Well, of course it sank. It sank, right? <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is like the perfect metaphor for like business for people who just spend all this time trying to finally make it right. And they go, okay, I'll finally go. And it's just, it, it's silly. So,
2: you know, I was interviewing Rachel Hollis once, the former author, the famous author. And she said, uh, she wrote the books, Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. She said, most people don't fear failure. What they fear is having other people see you fail. Mm. And that makes sense to me. I, mean, I don't relate to that because I don't mind if you see me fail because I get the high and I get the high in failure. Because if I'm failing, it means I'm learning. It means I'm testing and I'm, I am i don't embarrass easy. I don't have any problem screwing something up because I learn a ton from that. In fact, that's the whole premise of my book series is from mess to success. You learn more from your messes then you do your successes and owners, leaders, entrepreneurs that can not just own their mess, but teach through them. You build a culture where people will take risks and it's okay to fail because you're learning together and you're sharing this abundance of information. This is a great culture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People don't quit those kind of cultures. They thrive in them.
1: Well, in my first book, I have these seven pillars of what I think are make a great company culture. These are things that we heard consistently from great guests on the show. And one of the pillars is mistakes.
2: It's like
1: how how companies deal with the mistakes they make, right? Versus errors, I distinguish. Mistakes and errors are two different things, right? If if you keep calculating payroll wrong because you don't know how to use a calculator and you can't add, that's an error and you probably don't belong in that job anymore, right? But making a mistake, like I tried this new software, I tried this new thing, we tried to get better, this didn't work, how do we fix that? What's the other, you know, that's different. And I see so many great organizations just
2: absolutely flourish using that model.
1: And so you and I are like,
2: you're like mental bosom buddies. When I was a sales vice president, I used to tell people my job is to receive and process bad news. Yeah. I do not want to hear wrong news because wrong news means you phoned it in, you lied, you made it up. You didn't ask the right questions. Wrong news is unacceptable. Bad news is acceptable. It means you're trying. It means you're iterating. And that's a great culture, right? Uh, Low tolerance for... Wrong news, high tolerance for bad news. Yeah, I love that. That's a great way to put it.
1: Well, I, I was wondering is there one thing within an organization that you think can't
2: be copied? Oh, there's only one thing that can't be copied. Okay. Oh, there's what is only that? one thing, and you just mentioned it. That's your culture. Hmm. Everything else can be copied your board, makeup, your supply chain, your operations, your go to market strategy, your pricing, your patents. Your copyrights, they're all being copied. They're all being stolen from you right now, typically from countries across the Pacific Ocean, quite frankly. What cannot be copied is your culture. And your culture is simply how the vast majority of people behave the vast majority of time. Backbiting, gossiping, lying and stealing, cutting corners or respectful abundance, great courageous conversations, confronting blind spots. People don't quit bad jobs. They quit bad bosses and corrupt cultures. You know, right. really in essence, your culture is just the relationships amongst your people. This, this, this adage that people are an organization's most valuable asset, Chris, that's total bunk. People are not any company's most valuable asset. It's the relationships between those people. Cause you can have someone who's a black belt, six Sigma expert in a, Road Scholar from Oxford, you got the two smartest people in the room, but if they can't get along, compliment, forgive, pre-forgive each other, I don't need them. Yeah, I can teach skill. I, it's really hard to teach how to build a high trust relationship. That that is, that is somebody's killer app. That's your brand. It should be your brand is that you can learn how to code. You can learn Google analytics. I can learn how to, you know, how to send an email on Marketo. What I can't teach you is how to apologize, how to be self-aware, how to recognize in a meeting, now that's a great idea. In fact, that's a better idea than my idea. Why don't I abandon my idea and jump on board that idea? It's hard to teach humility and abundance thinking. But I'll take that person over to smartest person in the room every day of the week.
1: Well, your your book, uh, Marketing Mess to Brand Success, uh, sounds like a, a very intriguing book. And I'm wondering do you feel like this is really meant for the, the individual from an entrepreneur or maybe the single you know chief marketing officer? Is this really meant for a, an individual to review? Or is this more of a, a kind of book that a corporation wants to look at bringing in you know to, to, to the team? right? Is this more of a, a, a thought change for a group of people? How, how do you view what you've written uh, as far as
2: who it goes to? I won't fall into the trap of saying my book is for everybody.
1: I, I can uh, certainly relate there because I often will... I'll speak at conferences and I'll have people in HR come up to me and be like, I love what you said. This is great. But how in the heck do I get my no. boss? How do I get the no. CEO to actually start doing this stuff? And I go, well, step one is maybe give a copy of the book and see mm-hmm. if you can start a conversation yeah, about it. something there. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And so. I don't
2: shame marketing in the book. I take sales a task, I take marketing a task, but I talk a lot about, hey, marketers. You need to be thinking about these things as well as these things, right? Because you can't just be in your own silo unleashing your creativity, doing the things you love the most, right? You've got to be able to read a PL. You've got to stay close to the cash. You've got mm-hmm. to understand what the sales side of the organization needs to drive, you know, forward profitable business. Otherwise, you're just, you know, working on pet projects and doing things you love to do. Well, that's called the CFO coming in and clearing house.
1: Given the long career that you had at Franklin Covey and I certainly being able to to work with the man himself as as well. Yeah. Uh. You know what's maybe the maybe the greatest thing you learned while you were there?
2: Yeah. I'm very clear. I'm very clear on this. Doctor Stephen R. Covey wrote the book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold 40 million copies. It's the most widely read book in the world around personal development. As the chief marketing officer, I led press and PR for the firm. Very common for a reporter to call me, want to interview me on the seven habits of highly efficient people. The book is called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, not The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. There's a big difference between being efficient and being effective. One is not better than the other, but there's a time to be efficient and a time to be effective. And for your listeners and viewers that are like me, I'm a very efficient person. I wake up at 4 in the morning. I go to bed at 10 at night. I get more done by 10 a.m. than most people do in their days. I'm a very productive person. I don't apologize for it. And it's actually been the biggest hallmark of my career. The problem is when I take that mindset of efficiency, Chris, and I try to move it into my relationships with people because Mm. you cannot be efficient with people and people who are efficient like me generally try to do that with people slow is fast and fast is slow so the biggest the biggest learning i took in 25 years at franklin covey but i still am an advisor to the board and the ceo is that for those of us who have efficiency as our brand we're super productive we've got to be thoughtful of when to be efficient and when to be effective because you can only be effective with people you got to slow down. You got to take off your Apple Watch. You got to close your laptop. You got to turn off your phone and check in and not check off your relationships like you do mowing the lawn or taking checking the garbage out or you know clearing out your inbox. It's a struggle for me. I have to I have to like consciously move into an effectiveness mindset when I'm working with people. Otherwise, yeah. I tend to be very robotic and productive and check things off and people feel that and it's not good for my brand or our relationship.
1: Well, Scott, I really appreciate you being on the show today. We've enjoyed uh, learning more from you and congratulations on the new book and all of your success. How can people find out more about you if they're interested in learning more?
2: Sure. You can go to scottjeffreymiller.com. That's my website, all my books, my podcast, my ink columns are there. You can connect to me on LinkedIn, on any I- any platform, Instagram, Instagram. Facebook. You can buy all my books on Amazon or any 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 book platform. The current book is called Marketing Mess to Brand Success, and there'll be eight more books in the Mess to Success title. The next one is Job Mess to Career Success. Comes out in January 2022.
1: Again, Scott, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. We've learned a lot, and uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll bring in my uh, second guest, Rick Gerard. Mm-hmm.
3: Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Scott J. Miller, uh, you can listen to his interview and and any of our other past shows as well on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, or you can go to YouTube and follow me there. And the video version of these uh, are also appearing there as well. So if you just subscribe, you'll make sure to always be alerted to when a new show is is on board. You can also go to talenttalkradio.com and uh, easily search and find our uh, guests from over the years. And thank you everyone who's been tuning in and downloading and subscribing. Don't forget, you can also live tweet or follow the live tweet and you can interact uh, on Twitter at following at PeopleG2 or the hashtag TalentTalk. Uh, There you can argue with us, tell us what we got right, what we got wrong, find links to profiles, books that we may have mentioned, or all the other good stuff that maybe you just couldn't write down as you heard it. So um, let's go ahead and talk about who my next guest is. He's returning to the show. Happy to have uh, Rick Gerard back on. He's the startup builder, CXO of Stride Search, host of the Higher Power Radio Show, and an author of Healing Career Wounds. So uh, Rick, welcome back to the show, sir.
4: Thanks for having me, Chris. <clears throat> Happy to be here. I have some in my throat. Just ate lunch real quick. <laughs> well,
1: well, that's always a struggle, right? Right before the radio shows and make sure we're not too hungry or too thirsty. So <laughs> totally, totally. So why don't you and tell everyone a little bit more about you, what you what you focus on, you know, what, what's important for our, you know, our, our uh, listeners to know about you for our, really the, the crux of our conversation today.
4: You know, I I'm on a mission right now to, to help change the thinking behind how people hire, Like that's really, that's really my mission. We work with a lot of startups and what we realized is that, you know, people don't want the same things anymore uh, in a career or do they want from their employers? So we've actually developed this thing called a hiring operating system and we call it Hire OS and the whole idea behind it is to give small companies, give entrepreneurs and business leaders a system they could just plug into their business that will effectively tie people into their core values as opposed to just hi- hiring for skills. Because as we all know, we've all heard many, many times when, you, when you're a values-driven company and you hire for values, it's a much stronger hire than hiring for just pure skills alone. And uh, so, yeah, I'm on that mission today just to talk to everybody and, and get people on board with just changing their perspective on how to hire people today
1: and and that's going to be i mean it's always an important issue it's always something that's been going on but yet i think we're about to have this big big turnover right we're already seeing people quitting because they don't want to go back yep they don't really like their job but they didn't really want to leave during a pandemic and then you have people who are like i like my job but i ain't going back in the office or i'm not going back that many days a week so i'll go find something else because there's plenty of companies willing to do remote Um, So I'm sort of going to expecting this huge turnover, right? And so companies are going to be doing a lot of hiring. So how should they think about changing it, right? You you mentioned values, but what else should they be doing to really change that process if they want to get it right?
4: Yeah. You know, what's really funny is we actually just did our podcast today on this same thing, right? Um, So there was, um, there was an article that came out where uh, a lot of the employees from Apple just wrote Tim Cook a letter saying, Hey Tim, you're not listening to us. We don't want to come back. You know, we're highly effective at home and, um, we're, we're, we want to stay home. Right.
1: Geography or our bias around geography is starting to melt a little bit. Um, there's still a pretty big iceberg there, but you know, it's starting to melt. People realize that they can have this. And I think as they maybe lose some people and they go, well, okay, maybe we're going to have a little more flexibility. And then they go, okay, but these people just moved from LA to Idaho. Yeah. Or from, you know, New York into Connecticut. And they don't want to come into the big city very often. Very happy where they are. And can we have, because I've always been able to get people who were awesome, who cost me a lot less money <laughs> because yeah. they
4: didn't live in a high cost of living city.
1: And it was a huge advantage for us.
4: Yeah, you know, it's funny because my friend Ryan Malone did the same thing, right? Like he he's the only person who actually lives in California. He's got a hundred person company that's 100% remote. They only come together for their annual conference that they do every year. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of model and pull from kind of what some of what he's done and ridiculously successful model. So why not embrace it? You know, when you can pull people from all over the country um, especially with the amount of people that moved, I heard something like 20 million people moved during COVID. Yeah. That's
1: crazy. It'd be really interesting to see how that's going to impact you know, uh, politics, how that might impact work, how that might impact, you know, I, all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, you get suddenly people not what they were before. How does that change things? So, very uh, true. yeah, time time will tell. But I, I was really interested. I want to kind of make sure I I, I uh, asked you before our interview, you know, gets along too far. Is what really inspired you to write the book uh, Healing Career Wounds? And can you maybe kind of tell us a little more about that and what people might expect if they hopefully go pick up a copy.
4: Yeah, you know, it, it kind of came out of our work that we do <clears throat> out of search practice. You know, um, my my core company is Stride Search. And what we do is we, we help find um, executives for primarily tech startups. One of the things that I realized quite a few years ago is that the biggest problem in hiring is leadership. Leadership doesn't know how to interview. They don't know how to hire. They don't know how to really, like there's never been classes they've been taught how to do these things. What we do is we've picked off Um, kind of questions that we liked, maybe at an interview that we went to at one point. Mm -hmm. You're asking questions to kind of get an idea of who that person is, but it's not really core to tie back to core values. It's not tied to core values. It's not really uh, settled in anything. And so you're asking questions, but you're still really running a very biased interview process. And we're trying to eliminate all those things, right? So then... What, what prompted us, me to write the book was that we've had quite a bit of success with a lot of different companies that we've helped to find executives and what we ended up doing was building in this hiring operating system and then rolling out within their whole organization so we train their people up, so that they understand how to run an interview. We break it down to even like the simplest like, you know, we, we write pre written questions and we assign them to the interviewer position it's not really a whole lot of guesswork, but it's a lot of listening and digging under the hood. And so the idea was um, I wanted to have a plug and play book that somebody can pick up, they can plug it into their business and they can self implement it kind of like they do like an EOS or scaling up or something to that effect. And as a matter of fact, it, it really plugs really well into like an entrepreneurial operating system. So that's the idea.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I know you're always trying to help uh, entrepreneurs solve problems. It sounds like, you know, hiring better, dealing with bias. Are there other things that you're, you're trying to help them solve as well?
4: Yeah, a lot of it's kind of getting out of their own way, right? Because um, again, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And a lot of times, um, gosh, I had this one scenario where I said I had to argue with the CEO over somebody that I recruited who is really good person had actually built a core product for his core com- his current company. And it was just time to move on for him. And when I sent the resume to the CEO, the CEO argued with me, well, he doesn't come out of pedigree school. I'm not really that impressed by his background. I don't really know this company. I had this really long conversation with him saying, hey, look, at, you got to get away from the resume and you got to look at what this person did. My evaluation or my assessment of this person is what they've what they've done and the impact that they brought to the organization and so um essentially just being able to filter all that down to a point where you can be successful you can you can actually um understand how to extract the right data to gain support to gain, to gain evidence to support whether or not you're going to make a hire and um we just don't know how to do that so that's the problem i'm trying to solve Uh, I'm a big believer that hiring is not an HR function, so to speak. It's a leadership function that goes down to HR. So strong leaders who know how to hire are going to have a strong company, but leaders who don't know how to hire, you know, they struggle and they fail.
1: Right. You know, it seems like you, you've, you've put your stake in the, you know, claim into the startup arena. Uh, we are helping a lot of people. And I imagine this is the area where people need the most help because they have the least amount of support, the least amount of structure. Someone may have started a business because they have a great idea, but that doesn't mean they know anything about hiring and firing and all the other things, right? So so why is it you think you've chosen this kind of startup area to, to, to be in?
4: Because being an entrepreneur is really hard, and I'm an entrepreneur. And, like, you know, when I say startups, I mean, to start up to me is really anything that's not, you know, that's not a mid-sized company that's like pre-IPO, you know, maybe under 500 people. Again, I, I feel like uh, entrepreneurs are my people. I resonate well with them and I really want to give them the opportunities um, to win because what ends up happening a lot of times is they'll find a great person and that person can get bought by an Amazon or bought by somebody else. You know, it's kind of their fault. It's your fault when you lose people because you didn't really connect the dots in their brain as to how your opportunity heals their career wounds.
1: Mm. And I've seen that so many times where we, we've hired someone and I'm like, how did they ever let this person go, right? How did they ever, you know, how does this ever happen? They're, they do such a good job, but, you know, things happen, right? So maybe yeah. the corporate company might've been going through something and they lost people they didn't want to lose. And someone could have been going through something personally and they maybe just couldn't give the company, what they were expected to give, or, or what have you, and so you're right. These wounds happen, right? These things happen in people's lives or in companies' uh, lives, and when it's time to move on, I guess we have, if we can find a job where it makes sense for that person, where they can heal, you're going to have a long, good, healthy relationship with that employee for for a very long time, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the number the number one thing that I hear from people that we talk to. Um, is, you know, most people are not in a place where they can grow. And, you know, I think leaders in general just do, they're, they're so focused on building the company and, and building the product and doing things that's in. And, and, and uh, there was a statistic that came out in 2019 uh, through Gartner, which was 67% of people are disengaged in their current roles, meaning they're like, they're just there for the paycheck. So, and that's usually growth, content of the work, or, or management. Like those are the top three reasons that I see. But there's other things. It, it just involves having a conversation and finding out exactly what it is that that person needs healed.
1: You know, because we've seen that. I, I remember reading that one time in a book. I can't remember which book it was, but it might have been uh, Marcus Buckingham or something. But just that you know, not everybody was looking to be on this path. Um, actually it might've been Kim, Kim Scott in uh, radical candor that
4: there were people that at times, and and, uh, there was a statistic that came out in 2019, uh, through Gartner, which was 67% of people are disengaged in their current roles. Meaning they're like, they're just there for the paycheck. So, and that's usually growth content of the work or, or management. Like those are the top three reasons that I see, but there's other things. It just involves having a conversation and finding out exactly what it is that that person needs healed.
1: You know, because we've seen that. I I remember reading that one time in a book. I can't remember which book it was, but it might have been Marcus Buckingham or something. But just that, you know, not everybody was looking to be on this path. Um, Actually, it might have been Kim Kim Scott in uh, Radical Candor, that there were people that at times wanted to plateau. They wanted to their career to not get any busier or less busy. They just wanted to stay on this sort of plateau path because they had kids because they were going back to school because they had a sick spouse or a sick parent, or there was something else in their life and they were happy to be plateauing for a while. Yeah. But one of the ability to then grow Mm -hmm. and take off when they wanted to, if, if that, you know, things change for them. Um, and that finally was like what I needed to explain to me because we had many times have, we have awesome people that we were like, you do such an awesome job. Would you like to be now in charge of this thing? Would you like to do this? And they were like, Nope, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Like I'm really happy. And it was like, what? Cause like, I'm always like go, 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 go. How next thing, next thing, next thing. And they were like, Nope, I'm really happy right now. Just, yeah. can I just stay here? Um, okay. And I didn't understand it until later on I realized that like people can just be on these different trajectories.
4: Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. I mean, you know, there are people that uh, don't really want to grow, but maybe there's bad leadership, right? Yeah, maybe they they have a they they don't really gel well with the core of company values. I see a lot of times where you know uh, people will talk about well, our core values, or they're on the wall, or this, but it's really not that. It's you know completely the opposite way. It's always it's always up to the individual.
1: So tell me a little bit more about your, your hire OS, which I think is your, your hiring oper, uh, operating system. What's that all about?
4: Yeah, so it's, it's basically kind of four key components. Um, it starts with core values, right? So breaking down what your core values are, understanding them. Now taking those core values and building them into your interview questions and your job descriptions. And there's kind of two different components to that. Then from there we take we move that through to uh, the core values aligning with the second component, which is the discovery call, which is basically, um, you know, when when you get an applicant or you recruit somebody or somebody's referred to you, you do a discovery call, and it's a kind of a deep dive right off the bat, as opposed to hey, what are you looking to make, and uh, you know, what do you want to do? This is understanding somebody's pain, their desire and what impact they've made in their cor- current organization or former organization. People are in alignment, that's that's to figure out whether or not people are positioned op- uh, properly for the organization. And if they're positioned properly, then you move them through straight to an interview. And the interview is broken down, very structured. It's 45 minutes each person. It's usually three, maybe four people at most. And uh, each uh, person is given four questions of those four questions, one of them is a knockout, and they're taught how to dig underneath the hood and understand kind of the core, um, the core value that aligns with that question. So specifically driven between, like usually one or two different core values, and they're behavioral questions. And so what we wanna do is we, wanna, we don't wanna understand how somebody would handle a situation because those are hypotheticals. We want to understand what they've done in the past and and how they, how they handled it, how they felt about it, why they did it that way, what was the outcome, where did they fail. We want to understand all that good evidence to support whether or not it makes sense to move forward. Um, so yeah. it's more evidential as opposed to circumstantial, which is what most interviews are. And that came from a lot of frustration With hiring managers, um, talking to him and then saying, okay, well, how'd the interview went? Oh, it went great. I liked him. You know, it's funny. We have something in common. You know, he likes clowns. I like clowns. Let's hire him. And it was that kind of simple, but that's not, that's not creating diversity. That's not building an organization that's going to really thrive.
1: Yeah. I mean, hiring people that you would want to go have a beer with um, doesn't go very far. It doesn't last very long, right? You need people oh. who can come in and do a great job and be great members of a team and help you drive your your results. And um, if that means you never go have a beer with them, oh well. What do you expect that to look like for an organization that's really doing this? That's putting in this higher OS into place? Um, is you know is is it just getting better people? Is it higher profits? Is it, you know, what, what does it look like, I guess, in that perfect
4: scenario? So what we're tracking is, is been, you know, we, we've been hitting like a 98% success rate on offer acceptance. So when you put an offer out there um, and you do it in such a way where you're, you're letting them kind of determine what they'd like to do next, then they're telling you they want the offer. They're telling you they'd like to work at the company. It, it just creates a much heavier bond And of those 98% of people that we've placed, um, we've got like, I think it was like 86% of them have been at an over two year stick rate. Mm. So I don't think we've tracked them much more than that, but there's been very little fallout. There's been a lot of, you know, really good revenue that's been generated. We've done this a lot with a lot of startups, companies that we worked in the past, and a lot of them had had successful exits. And that's that's pretty key, you know, being able to get to yourself to a point. I think you're getting a much stronger hire than the traditional way, um, and also you're making better decisions, um, not relying on not relying on um, circumstantial evidence, but more based upon who's gonna who's gonna really gel well and, and do well in your organization, who's gonna thrive.
1: And all those things are really important. And I, uh, you yeah. know. I'm sure your system is the best, but even if it's not the best one, it's a really good system. Like my my point is like if just having a system, having yeah. something in place that you can rely on and use to go through is so much better than having no system at all. I mean Oh I, yeah. I used to tell my I used to coach basketball, and I'm like, I could call the wrong defense for you guys, but if you're all running the right defense, we're gonna do a lot better than if you're all just doing whatever you want to do right we're not on the same page so yeah. you know having a system in place is super important and it sounds like this one would be a great one for companies to consider using
4: you know i i haven't been able to find really any hiring operating systems that are out there which is why we kind of built it and put it out there but you're so right so then it is the best <laughs> yeah, sure absolutely i mean i believe in it wholeheartedly and the fact of the matter is that, like it's worked for a lot of our clients you know, it's actually, there's a bit of a mind shift because you really have to start looking at hiring from a different perspective. And then there's a training component. You have to understand how to dig underneath the hood and listen to people as opposed to, you know, having, you know, talking to them or listening to respond as opposed to listening to understand. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's, there's a pretty heavy training component involved in it as well. Once you get it down, it's, it's easy peasy baby it's like um but you're right any system even if you don't use mine is way better than hey we just have people come in we meet them at Starbucks and then we you know we talk about what they like what they don't like and you know then we make them an offer i mean that's just that's just a big waste of everybody's time
1: yeah absolutely and and nobody wants that yeah well uh rick i'm really glad you came back uh to to share more with us uh, on the show again and I uh, always enjoy uh, talking to you. So why don't you let everybody else know, how can they find out more about you? How can they talk to you uh, if they're interested in learning more?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, drop me an email at rick at stride, S-T-R-I-D-E, search, dot com. Um, you can check out stridesearch.com or higherpowerradio.com. That's the podcast. Um, or you can pick up the book. Um, it's called Healing it Career Wounds. It's on Amazon. I was uh, fortunate enough to get Gino Wickman, who's the author of Traction, Write the Forward, which was uh, really cool. Give me a call.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks again so much for being on the show. Hopefully, I'm sure we'll have you back again uh, maybe next year and give us an update on everything you're doing. Um, uh, Other than that, thanks for everyone for listening to today's show. Don't forget, we're off for the rest of the month. We'll be back uh, sometime in July. Uh, And look for me. I'll be uh, roaming around the country uh, hawking my wares, my books uh, here shortly. So uh, thanks ever again for tuning in. Until uh, next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.